So welcome to this podcast from The Clinical Teacher. I'm Steve Trumbull, the editor of the journal, and I'm joined by Chris Saunders, who is at the University of Edinburgh, but actually in York at the moment. How is it going, Chris? Uh, yes, very well down here, thank you. We're here to talk about your paper, which is published in the December issue of The Clinical Teacher. Uh, it's entitled The Experience of Interdisciplinary, sorry, Interdisciplinary Peer-Assisted Learning. Uh, and you've written it with a group of colleagues from the University of Edinburgh. Can you just give us a, a, a quick outline about uh, the main messages of the paper? Okay. Uh, well, to kind of put this research into context, uh, we've noticed that there's been a progressive shift away from the doctor as being the primary care provider, uh, more towards a more holistic kind of multidisciplinary delivery of healthcare. Um, at the University of Edinburgh, the the courses have traditionally main, remained quite separate. So the nursing and the medical courses, they don't allow for much interaction between the different groups of students. Um, so what we wanted to do was organize teaching sessions that were both led and for students from both populations. Uh, so both nursing and medical students. So, so Chris, what, um, what, what, I'm sorry, just what, what drove your thinking on having the students lead it as well as participate in it across their disciplines? Uh, well, the reasoning behind that was that we thought it would be more applicable to both sets of students if they could see that a group of interdisciplinary students were actually leading and uh, taking control of um, having this kind of interaction between students rather than it being forced onto them by uh, lecturers. I see. So it creates more of a, you know, putting the, the students from the other discipline into a leadership role rather than just being yet another learner. Uh, yes, and it also helps them. We, we thought it would help them feel more at ease in a situation which they might not be too familiar with. Sure. So I'm sorry, I, I interrupted you though. So what did you do once you had the groups uh, together? Uh, so what we did was we arranged training se uh, teaching sessions into four different learning stations, and each of the each of the groups at the stations were composed of both nursing and medical students, so that students could work together in solving the problems that we set for them. So, for example, one of the stations was a skills station in which uh, students took the lead in priming uh, an IV administration set. Another of the stations was a practical session on prescribing and completing bedside fluid balance charts. And the last two stations were case-based scenarios where students could discuss with each other and try and solve the cases using each um, perspective from both the nursing and the medical uh, backgrounds. Okay, and the cases were all around fluid balance as the topic? Uh, yes, that's correct. There was a few other, there was a few other ideas that we had for possible themes of the learns of the um, training sessions. So we could have done, for example, sessions on diabetes or asthma or the acutely unwell patient. They are all kind of areas that are both led in collaboration with both medics and nurses. But we felt that we choose fluid balance because that's been an area which has traditionally been quite weak in both um, medical and nursing curriculums. 
Mm, so there's actually good purpose in having that topic chosen. It's an area of need. And I, I was interested, though, that the medical students volunteered, but the nurses did it as part of their compulsory curriculum. Uh, yes, that's right. Unfortunately, at the University of Edinburgh, the medical course, the number of medical students that we have is quite a lot higher than the actual number of nursing students that we have. So in order to keep the, the balance of the sessions right and to have a roughly equal number of nursing students to medical students, we had to we had to try and enlist all of the nursing students. And you were pretty successful at that. I think you had almost 100% turnout of the 30-odd students, or 28 students, I think it was, wasn't it? That was quite remarkable. Uh, yeah, I think I think in the end, um, we, we only got a couple of people who didn't actually hmm. um, manage to make it to the sessions. And the evaluation is quite extraordinary. There was obviously huge approval of the course. People enjoyed it, found it useful. Did you think there was the opportunity to actually measure knowledge and skills acquisition through the, the method of having um, peers from different disciplines? Um, well, unfortunately, there was, no, there was no hard evidence that they had actually increased their, their knowledge of those, of those things that we asked them. What we did ask them, though, was how confident they felt in their ability to, for example, select fluids for the correct uh, situation. Um, and we, we found that after the sessions, they, they, there was a st statistically significant increase in their confidence. Um, and the free text comments that we would got from students as well seems to suggest that they'd found it quite benef beneficial in that sense. Yeah, I was certainly taken by one of the comments from the nursing student. People are enthusiastic as it's taught by students, and this makes it more exciting. Yeah, I think because the sessions were led by students, I think the, the students who were tutees uh, felt a bit more relaxed in that setting. That's one of the things that kind of came across when we were actually teaching them during the sessions. They were commenting that they felt a lot more relaxed to ask what they thought were quite silly questions. For example, I think it would be quite embarrassing uh, for a clinical medical student to to say that they weren't one hundred percent sure what a nurse in, what what a nurse would do in that kind of setting, since we're expected to be on the wards as much as we can. The only thing is we're not actually exposed to what a nurse actually does quite a lot of the time. We are attached to a doctor and we have quite a limited perspective on what we actually what we actually view in that setting. Mm. So certainly on those professional role things, but also in the content. It's certainly been my observation here in Melbourne that uh, the topics students have chosen to organise their peer-led sessions on have been generally things like uh, um, neurosciences and immunology, two traditional areas that uh, frighten them. But obviously if it's a peer doing the teaching or even a slightly senior peer, they feel more relaxed in asking questions that might otherwise be perceived as silly. So uh, they seem to be onto something there. This combination is very nice of having peers involved but also across disciplines. Yeah, that's what we thought as well. Mm. So congratulations on your paper and uh, on the study that it's reporting. I'd certainly encourage uh, readers of the journal to have a look at the, the detail. Is there any one thing that you would say to the readership of the journal about the, the key message from, from your paper, Chris? I think one of the key things that came out of this, of doing the research for this paper, was that, that there doesn't seem to be a lot of this uh, interdisciplinary teaching taking place at medical schools. Uh, I think that's for a variety of different reasons. For example, funding, a lack of support at the actual institutional level. Um, 
are kind of from the article that we've presented here, I think we show a, a practical and cost-effective way for these kind of collaborative projects to actually take place and hopefully with with a bit more support and more people kind of buying into this idea that these kind of projects will start to spread and we'll have more interactions between the medical and the nursing profession. Mm, absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And again, congratulations and best wishes to you. Thank you very much.